Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us. That means if you've never been to church, if you walked away from church, or have struggled to find a church home, we were started for you. For more information about Collective and how to join us on a Sunday morning, please head to www.mycollective.church. So I am an impatient person. Uh, If you know me at all, you know that to be true. You can just ask my wife. It's not great. Uh, I know that patience is a virtue, but I don't care. Uh, I hate waiting. I hate waiting in traffic. I hate waiting in line. I hate waiting on my packages from Amazon to arrive. And I hate waiting to get a refill at Chick-fil-A. Like, I go to Chick-fil-A all the time. I don't think there's anything worse. And just like, wait, I just want my drink now. Give it to me now. Please let me go behind the counter and get my own refill. I can't stand it. And so in March, I took a trip down to Florida for a church planning conference, and I was flying from BWI to Orlando, so I hesitantly booked a Southwest fight. And here's why I say hesitantly. I think Southwest is a great airline, but I hate their boarding process. The first time, see, if you've ever flown Southwest, you know. The first time I ever flew Southwest, I had no idea how boarding was done. And so when I got to the airport, I checked in, and I noticed that my ticket said C-26. So I assumed I was sitting in seat C of row 26. I had no idea that was for boarding. And so I got to my gate, and because I hate waiting, I decided to grab lunch and hang out a while while everyone else stood in line like morons waiting to board the plane. And the whole time I'm eating and I'm watching these people thinking, I'm a genius. Like, I figured it out. I got here right on time. I'm eating my lunch. They're all in line. I don't have to wait in line because I've got my seat already assigned, except it's not assigned. So imagine my surprise when I boarded the plane and found out that C26 was my boarding number and seats on Southwest are a free-for-all. It's like Hunger Games. Like, people, like, sprint onto the plane and, like, fight in order to get the seat that they want. And so I ended up on the back of the plane by the bathroom, surrounded by a middle school youth trip, most of which it was their first time on a plane, so it was the worst. And when it came to my trip in March, I set an alarm on my phone 24 hours and one minute in advance of my check-in time to make sure I was online at the right time so I get an early boarding priority and the best seat possible. And so my alarm goes off, website was already typed in, I hit enter, and I end up getting A29. Which if you've ever flown Southwest, yeah, that's good. That's like winning the lottery. Like I'm in the first group. Like I barely have to wait. And so when I got to the airport, uh, I met up with my friend Kenny who forgot to check in and was given one of the last boarding slots. And so when we started boarding, I acted like I was royalty and he was a peasant. I'm like waving at him the whole time as he like sits in those sad seats and I got to enter first. And so I enter and I walk a few rows. I get an aisle seat with plenty of legroom. Glorious. But one thing I didn't realize when it comes to boarding early on a flight is while I didn't have to wait in line, I still had to wait on my, in my seat for everyone else to board, which might be worse than waiting in line because it took forever. And it was hot on the plane, and I was trying not to lose my mind as people were trying to figure out where do they put their bags. I couldn't do it. I put my bag here. Well, maybe I should go backwards against everyone else who's trying to get onto the plane. And I'm losing my mind, and all of a sudden I see Kenny walk in. He's easily one of the last five people to board. And because we weren't on a full flight and because my resting face always looks like I'm angry, my row was empty. So he walked straight to my row and he snagged the window seat like it didn't even matter. And so waiting is the worst. It's hard to wait for answers. It's hard to wait for results. It's hard to wait for the phone call. But I don't think there's anything harder than waiting for God. 
And that's exactly what we're going to talk about today. We're in week two of our series called Hope in the Dark. And this is what we're wrestling with. What do we do when we find ourselves hitting a spiritual wall? When with everything in you, you want to believe in the goodness of God, but what you see with your eyes is different than what you believe in your heart. What do you do when you find yourself wrestling with doubts? When what you always thought was true, you're not quite sure is true anymore. What do you do when you want to believe that God is good, but your life doesn't feel like it's good? And to learn about this, we're in one of the most honest and raw books of the Bible. We're studying the book of Habakkuk. And last week we went through Habakkuk 1 and we learned that Habakkuk's life wasn't a sitcom. His problems aren't solved in 30 minutes or less. His life is real. And because it's real, it's hard. And there's pain and there's suffering and he has doubts. And chapter 1 of Habakkuk ends without resolution. It kind of leaves us hanging. He cries out to God this entire time and it just ends. There's no perfect story to sum it up. There's no little bow on the end of Habakkuk chapter 1. And it leaves him wrestling with God. And so today we're going to continue that story. We're going to be in Habakkuk 2. And so in Habakkuk 1, we learn not to walk away from God. In Habakkuk 2, we're going to learn not to quit on God. Chapter 1 was all about wrestling with God, wrestling with doubts and questions when God isn't showing up in the way we want him to or expect him to. And chapter 2 is all about waiting. Wrestling with God is difficult, but waiting on God is even more difficult a lot of people said last week was heavy, um, that it was raw, that it was hard to handle. If you didn't like last week's sermon, you're probably not going to like today's. I'm sorry, uh, but welcome to Collective. And if you weren't here last week, um, I want to share with you a little bit about Habakkuk, because not too many people have ever heard of Habakkuk, let alone read the book of the Bible that's written by him in the Old Testament. And so Habakkuk is a minor prophet, and he lived and wrote and prophesied 600 years before the birth of Jesus. Now, most prophets would speak to the people on behalf of God. God would give them a word, and they'd present this to a group of people. But Habakkuk was different. He spoke to God on behalf of the people. And his people, the people of Judah, were at one point blessed and prosperous, but now there was tremendous corruption, and they were suffering greatly. And and Habakkuk, in this book, he's very honest with God about the pain he feels because of this. Like he sees this brokenness and he feels this pain and he sees the Babylonians destroying his people. And so what he does is he cries out to God. He says, I don't understand why you're letting this suffering happen. He says, you're supposed to be a just God, but I'm not sure you are. And then he wrestles. He asks God, where are you? Why aren't you doing what I think you should do? And so Habakkuk screams to God to please come and save them. And God says, I'm about to do something that you wouldn't even believe. Like if I told you, you wouldn't think it was real and you'll be amazed. And so if I'm Habakkuk and I hear that from God, I'm thinking, finally, God is coming through. God's finally answering my prayers and everything's going to be great again. We're going to be happy. We're going to be blessed again. But then God says, I'm going to raise up your enemy, the Babylonians, people who are even worse than you are, and they're going to issue judgment on you. And of course, Habakkuk is beside himself. He's crushed, and he's struggling because this isn't the God who he wants to believe in. And so chapter 1, Habakkuk is wrestling. God, why don't you do what I want you to do? Chapter chapter 2, Habakkuk is waiting. God, when are your promises going to come through? Let me tell you uh, what I'm waiting on right now with some of the people in my life. Two people that are very near and dear to my heart are going through chemo right now. I'm watching as cancer wrecks their bodies and impacts 
their lives, but they're fighting. They're doing everything they can to beat cancer, and I'm waiting. I'm waiting for them to share positive reports. I'm waiting for them to have normal days again, and I'm waiting for them to tell me that God is good and my cancer is in remission. And so I'm waiting, and I'm praying for them, and I'm believing that God will hear our prayers and perform a miracle. Over the past few months, my wife and I have had multiple people in our lives share with us that they've experienced miscarriages or are struggling to get pregnant. And so I'm waiting. I'm waiting for positive pregnancy tests for people I love who so desperately want to be parents. I'm waiting to see the outpouring of love from their friends and family when they announce that they're pregnant. I'm waiting to celebrate with them as they hit pregnancy milestones that provide just a little bit of relief. And I'm waiting. And I'm praying every single day that healthy babies and healthy pregnancies happen for my friends. And I'm hoping that miracles happen because sometimes it feels like that's what it will take. I'm waiting on one of my friends who's on the fence when it comes to following Jesus. He's made incredible steps in his faith journey, and you see it in every aspect of his life, from his relationships to his career, from trusting God with parts of his life he would never trust God with. He's clearly moving closer to God. But for some reason, whenever we talk about baptism, he hides or dodges the question. And so I pray that every single day, I pray every day that it's a breakthrough. And I'm waiting for the day that he realizes that he doesn't have to be perfect to receive God's grace. I'm waiting for the day that he realizes that the decision to follow Jesus is his and his alone. And I'm waiting for the text message when he says that he's ready and I'm, re- and I'm gonna celebrate the life-changing day with him and I'm waiting. But I hate waiting. I hate it. Because I want to hear that the people I love are cancer-free because I want to see the sonograms, because I want to celebrate the freedom found in Jesus, and I don't want to wait. I want it right now. And so what do you do when you are wrestling and you're waiting? What do you do when you're stuck and you're hurting? In Habakkuk 2, there are three things that God tells us to do when we're in that place, when we're in that pain. There are three things that Habakkuk did when he was hurting, when he was wrestling, when he didn't know what to do. Here's the first thing, and some of you feel like you're in a similar place, and I would encourage you, like, these are the things you should be doing. The first thing that Habakkuk does is he listens to God. And what I like about this is that when people uh, see that God isn't doing what they want him to do, or when they're mad at God or frustrated with God, people tend to walk away from God. People will doubt God. Some people will even quit on God, but Habakkuk doesn't do any of those things. Instead, he leans in. He positions himself in the most strategic place to see God move and to hear his voice. And so Habakkuk 1 ends with him wrestling with God, asking God's question, embracing God's character, saying, God, I know you're good. Let me see your goodness in my life. And Habakkuk 2 starts with this. He says, I will climb up to my watchtower and stand at at my guard post. Now, in ancient cities, the watchtower was typically the highest point in the city. And so Habakkuk, what he's doing is he's trying to remove himself from all the noise of the city and move himself closer to God. He's actually physically trying to put himself closer to God. And so he's going to put himself in the best possible place to see the hand of God and to hear the voice of God. And then he says, there I will wait to see what the Lord says and how he will answer my complaint." Now, it's really easy to get stuck on the word complaint, but it's better understood as an expression of grief, right? It's better understood as him crying out. He isn't complaining the way we complain. This isn't first world problems, right? Like he's watching the destruction of his people. He's watching people turn away from God. This is real life pain that he's crying out to God saying. And so he's saying, God, I'm gonna put myself so I can listen to you 
and I hope you respond to my cry. And so he cries out. This is what we do when we're waiting, and this is what we do when, when bad things are happening in our life. We say to God, God, heal the people in my life who have cancer. We say, God, bless my friends with the joy of a child. We say, God, remove all the obstacles so my friend can finally put his faith in you. And what we do is we begin to bargain. We say, because if you do, God, if you do these things, we will bring you glory and we'll brag about you. We'll tell everyone we know about how great you are. But then oftentimes we also bargain the other way. We say, but if you don't, God, if you don't, I don't know how I can defend you because it's very difficult to talk about your goodness when you don't do what I know you can do. And so what we do is we want to tell God what to do. But instead of telling God what to do in those times, it's important to listen to him. And the reason why is because our God is a God who speaks. And so are you putting yourself in the best place possible for you to listen? Are you putting yourself in the place that Habakkuk is where he's saying, God, I'm going to listen and I'm going to put myself in a place where I don't hear any of the noise, but I just hear you. And so God will speak. God can speak through the Bible. Every single one of you should be reading your Bible daily, especially if you're a follower of Jesus, but every single one of you. If you don't have a Bible, but you want to start reading one, you actually want like a paper copy of one, and you're like, I don't have one, come find me after church. I will bring one here to you next week so you can read it every single day. Now, if you're weirded out by like books with paper in them because our technology is moving away from that, you can download an app called YouVersion, which is a Bible app. I would encourage you to start reading. The best place to start reading is the New Testament with the biographies of Jesus. See Jesus' life. Read his teaching. Read what he does with his life so that you can experience freedom. It's the best place to start. Or the Bible app actually has Bible plans. If you want to read something different, it can actually show you every single day what you can read. Or you can just write down the verses that we talk about on Sunday and read those a bunch of times. But when you do that, God will speak to you. God can speak through his spirit. He can speak audibly. I've never heard the audible voice of God, but he can speak to you in your soul and in your spirit. And so I don't actually hear the voice of God. I feel it. I feel it deep down inside, which is really crazy to say and, and hard to explain, but I can feel God speaking to me. I used to joke with my roommate in college that I would get like gut feelings and I'd be making a big decision. And after praying a ton about it, he would ask me, okay, so what's God saying? And I would always respond with, I feel like my gut is telling me to, and it drove him nuts. He'd constantly remind me that it isn't my gut or my intuition, it's the Holy Spirit. There are decisions that we've made at Collective that I can't truly explain. The data doesn't really back it up, but after praying aggressively, after seeking out wisdom, after reading scripture, I just feel God pushing us to make a change, to take a risk, to trust him. To be honest, that's one of the reasons why we push back our service times. We didn't have to, but I felt like God just kept pushing us to make that change. And I know that sounds crazy, and, and I get that, but listen to this. So last week when we changed service times, we had 120 people at first service. That's over double what's normal. But that also meant we had 70 people at second service, which is the lowest total we've ever had at second service. And to be honest, when I got home on Sunday, I was a little bit confused as to why God was pushing us to do this thing. And so I, I sought him out. I tried to figure out, okay, God, what are you telling us? What is the thing that we're missing? And here's what we realized last week. We challenged our entire church to open up seats so new people could come and experience the grace and truth of, of Jesus. And you all did that. And so what ended up happening is we opened about 50 seats up that we can add to this gym during second service. And 50 seats is incredibly significant for two reasons. 
First, 50 people equals the number of adults that it would take for collective to be at 80% capacity in this building. And one of the things that we said in the very beginning when we had just one service was when we hit 80%, that's when we're going to start looking for a non-portable location. What ends up happening when we change service times, we open up 50 seats. We know we can put 50 people in this gym during second service. And the reality is those 50 people lead us to 80% capacity, which means that's the best we can do. Once you hit 80%, the churches don't grow anymore. And we're seeing that. We literally saw those seats open last week. The second thing we learned is this. 50 people equals the number of people it will take for us as a church to be self-supporting and not rely on the outside financial gifts of supporting churches, which we do this year and next year. We fundraise the first three years of this church. And when breaking it down, we realize that if this church grows 50 people, we can be a self-supporting church. And that's a big deal. And so what we saw last week and, and God pushing us to do that was this is why it matters. So we can see a bigger picture that we wouldn't have realized any other way. And so now we know we have 50 open seats that we want to fill with people who need to experience God's love. And the thing is, it's not just about opening seats. It's not just about moving people around. It's not just about data fitting together like a puzzle. As we continue to pursue and try to listen to God, we believe that God is pushing us to make this change as a reminder that there are people in our communities that need this church. We never would have considered adding 50 seats to the first service. It wouldn't have happened. But now that we know what we can do, we're reminding ourselves every single Sunday that there are more people who need to experience what God has to offer. And what we get to do now as Easter approaches, we get to say, we have a seat for you, right? If you came to second service, you guys felt this for months. It felt packed. It's hard to invite somebody when you're like, is there going to be a seat for them? And now we know those seats exist. Now, of course, if more than 50 people show up, we'll put out more seats on a Sunday. We can do that. But what we've realized is that there's clarity around those 50 seats. And I think God's asking us to get them filled up. And so Easter is two weeks away, and there's not a better time to invite people to experience Jesus and to experience church. And so I hope as a group we keep trusting God's voice and see what God can do through this. God can speak through people. God can speak through circumstances. God can speak through a message. God can speak through a song. God will speak to you. But if he doesn't, if you don't hear his voice right now, don't panic. Just because he is silent doesn't mean he's absent. He's always there. He's always with you. But you need to remove the noise and put yourself in the best position possible to listen to the voice of God. And let me just warn you, and I'll be really honest with you, sometimes when you hear from God, he is going to tell you something you don't want to hear. That's exactly what God did to Habakkuk. That's exactly what we talked about last week. Habakkuk begged to God, God, please do something. This is what I need from you. This is what we need to see. And God said, I'm going to raise up your enemy. He said, I'm going to raise up people who are worse than you are, and they're going to bring judgment upon you. And that's not at all what Habakkuk wanted. That's not at all what Habakkuk expected to hear. In fact, it's the opposite. He was saying, save us. And God's saying, that's not what's going to happen right now. And so sometimes God will speak to you and he will say something you don't want to hear. This happened to Paul all the time in the New Testament. There's probably not a better example of someone who deserved for God to do what he asked him to do than Paul. And Paul wrote about something that he called a thorn in his side. And we don't actually know what it is, but Bible scholars have suggested that maybe it was blindness. Maybe the thorn in his side was addiction or pain or depression, but he begged. He pleaded with God three times, take it away, God. He said, I'll do anything, God, have mercy on me. Take it away, take it away, take it away. And God spoke to him. 
And he said, no. He said, you asked, but the answer is no. And then God says this. He says, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. And he didn't say what Paul wanted to hear. And if I'm Paul, just to be honest, I'm pushing back. I'm going to remind God, God, don't you remember who I am? I'm Paul. I started churches in your name. I put my life on the line. I don't want your grace. I want your power. Peter, he needs your grace. Remember, he denied you three times. The last time he looked you dead in the eye and said he didn't know who you were. Give him your grace, but give me your power. How about Thomas? Thomas refused to believe that you resurrected from the dead until he saw you, until he touched your wounds. He had doubts about who you are. I don't have those doubts. Give him your grace. Give me your power. I want your power. Do you ever feel like that? I know I do. I've shared this before. The day after my wife and I moved to Frederick, the more I woke up that morning to a phone call from my mom that my dad was in the hospital. The day after we moved to plant this church, our first morning in Frederick, I'm rushing to the hospital, not knowing if my dad would live another day. And as I drove down 270 as fast as I could, I kept asking God, what are you doing? And I remember I'm literally scream, like audibly screaming to God, God, don't you remember why, what we're trying to do? Like the day after we moved to start this church, God, why us? Why now? We are literally changing our whole life for you, and this is your response. Show us your power. And that's where I cried out the entire drive down there. In fact, years later, I still struggle with this. Like we went to plant this church, and there was so much pain. It's like, God, why are you doing this? And I'm sorry if this makes you feel a little bit uncomfortable because I'm a pastor, but this is real. There are times in my life when I want God's power. And so if I'm Paul, I'm like, okay, I was beaten for you so many times I was left for dead. I was whipped across my back. I was shipwrecked, snake bitten. I was stoned, not recreationally speaking. I need to say that for a few of you. But after all I've been through, he's saying, give me your power. And God says, no. He says, I'm going to give you my grace. God tells Paul, what you want is not what I'm going to give you, but what I'm going to give you is so much better. He says, my grace is so much better than my power. I know this connects to a few of you here at Collective, especially when it comes to actually putting your faith in Jesus. I've brought up baptism the last few weeks, and you're hearing it. You're wrestling with it. You're actively trying your best to ignore God's voice and him calling you to take that step. And you're doing that because you want God to make everything perfect in your life first. You want God to fix that pain. You want God to heal that addiction. You want God to solve that problem. You want his power. And you're saying, God, show me your power and then I'll accept your grace. But God is telling you that his grace is enough. And so number one, we listen to God. Number two, we write it down. We record what God says. And this is what he tells Habakkuk to do in his grief. In Habakkuk 2.2, it says this, Then the Lord said to me, Write my answer plainly on these tablets. And so Habakkuk puts himself in a place to listen. So God says, okay, here's the next thing you need to do. You need to write this down. Write down what I'm about to say to you. You record it and keep it forever. And the reason why we do this, and the reason why he's telling Habakkuk to do this, is because we have an enemy whose mission is to steal, kill, and destroy. Our spiritual enemy wants to take from you what God gives to you. And so God will give you a word, or God will give you faith, or God will give you just a moment of peace, and our enemy wants to take that from you and take everything that God gives you. And this happens all the time. For some of you, this was last week. You were in church. You heard from God. 
God spoke to you, God gave you faith, God moved you, but then you got in the car and you got that text message. You missed that light and you got distracted. And when you got home, you asked, did God really speak to me or was that something else because you got distracted? And Satan wants to take from you what God gives to you. That's why when you hear from God, you write it down. And you do this so you can go back to it later, so that you can hold on to it, so that you can believe it, so that you can embrace it, so that you can live in it. Don't let your enemy take it from you. This is why I often encourage you to take notes on Sunday mornings. It isn't because I think what I'm saying is worth writing down. It's because I know that God can use me, the band, Scripture, a story, a moment during communion. God can use every single one of those things to speak to you. I actually have friends who bring moleskin journals to church every week. And when I first saw it, I made fun of them. I was like, dude, teacher's pet. Like, I don't like you that much. But what they're saying is that they're ready for God to speak to them and that what he says matters. That's why they do that. And so number one, listen to God. Number two, write it down. And here's the third thing, and this is the most difficult. This is the one that's literally no fun. It's wait. Wrestling is no fun, but waiting is so much worse. But you wait and you wait and you wait on the faithfulness of God. And some of you are waiting right now. Will my family ever come to church with me? And you're waiting and you're praying what you want to see, you don't see. Will God ever hear the cry of my heart and give me the marriage that I want to have? Is God ever going to give me stability in my career? Is God ever going to stop the chronic pain? Is God ever going to help take me out of this depression that holds me down? And you wrestle, you ask God questions, and you wait. In the story of Habakkuk, God continues. In verse 3, uh, this is one of the reasons, another one of the reasons why I love this book. This is what God says. He says, If it seems slow in coming, wait patiently, for it will surely take place. It will not be delayed. If it seems slow and coming, wait patiently. And some of you are waiting for your spouse. You haven't met them yet, but you're waiting. Although it seems slow, wait patiently for her. Although it seems slow, wait patiently for him. And while you're waiting, let me remind you that single is a whole number. In other words, you don't need someone else to help you be complete. You don't need someone else to be faithful to God. You don't need someone else to matter in the kingdom of God. God may be preparing someone really special for you, but don't rush things. Don't put yourself in relationships that will lead you away from God. Although it seems slow, wait patiently. The Living Bible actually is a, is a paraphrase of the Bible, and it says it, this, this verse really well. This is what it says. It says, but these things I plan won't happen right away. Slowly, steadily, surely the time approaches when the vision will be fulfilled. If it seems slow, do not despair, for these things will surely come to pass. Just be patient. They will not be overdue a single day. So don't despair. God will deliver. Don't despair. God will respond. Don't despair. God will do his perfect will. Just be patient. If it's not in God's time, you can't force it. And if it is God's time, you can't stop it. But we wait patiently. And you may feel like it's taking forever. You may be afraid that it just won't happen. But let me remind you, when you're in the waiting zone, when you're trying to hang on to your faith and you aren't seeing anything, when you're getting impatient, when you're starting to wonder, when you're waiting and you're wrestling, remember, God's delays are not God's denials. Just because you haven't seen it does not mean that God's not doing it. Although it seems slow, wait patiently. And so that's what Habakkuk does. He listens. He starts to write things down and he's waiting. And then God says this. 
He says, look at the proud. They trust in themselves and their lives are crooked, but the righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. And so this is kind of a breakthrough with Habakkuk and God because God is acknowledging the sins of the Babylonians. He's letting Habakkuk know that he gets it. He sees it. He sees the destruction. He sees the sin. He sees the way that they're living. But then he reminds Habakkuk that the righteous live by faith. What he's doing is he's telling Habakkuk, you don't worry about the Babylonians. You worry about yourself. You worry about your own faith. He says that's what matters. In, in the New Testament of the Bible, the phrase, the righteous will live by faith, is repeated over and over and over again. And what this means is that people who don't want to fall, the righteous, right, the people who don't want to trip up, they don't walk by sight, they walk by faith. Because their faith is not based on what they see or what they want or getting their desired outcome. Their faith is based on the character and goodness and nature of God. And so my faith should not change in the wrestling or the waiting. Even though I don't see with my eyes, I fight to trust God with my heart. Even though everything I want God to do, he's not doing, I wait patiently. I wait for his goodness. Even when it feels slow, I wait. And so as Habakkuk wrestles with this and he struggles with God because he's confused and upset, he's questioning and he's doubting, he's trying to hang on, something clicks. It's almost as if he reminds himself that God is still in charge, that God is still there, that God will deliver. And so at the end of Habakkuk 2, this is what he writes. He says, but the Lord is in his holy temple. And here's what he's saying. He's saying, even though I don't get it, even though things are, aren't going the way that I want them to, I remind myself that God is still in his holy temple. No matter what I see, I choose faith. No matter what I feel, I choose faith. Even in my doubts, I choose faith. I don't see a way, but with God, there's always a way. And I'm aching, but in my heart, I choose to trust God. And so Habakkuk is saying, I don't see what I want to see, but because of my faithfulness in God, I will choose to walk by faith. God is still on his throne. He's still in the holy temple. He's still there. I can worship him before I see him move. I can praise him before I see him act. Even in the waiting, I still believe that God is good. And so that's the realization that Habakkuk has at the end of chapter two, when all we see is pain and pain and pain. And then he realizes God's still there. He's still good. So in the wrestling, in the embracing, in the listening, in the writing, in the waiting, no matter how it makes you feel, God is still God. He still loves you. He still wants to offer you grace. He still wants to offer you freedom. He still wants to be in a relationship with you. Just because there's pain, just because something doesn't make sense, just because you feel like he's far away, just because you aren't seeing him move the way you want him to, doesn't mean he's gone. God's still there. And so wrestling is difficult and waiting is even worse, but don't quit on God. Next week, we're going to finish up the final chapter of Habakkuk. And so two weeks of pain, and then we're going to see the resolution. But one thing that I want you to remember is that you cannot have chapter 3 without chapter 1 and chapter 2. So don't walk away from God in chapter 1, and don't quit on God in chapter 2. Because though it seems slow, wait patiently. Don't lose faith. Don't stop trusting in him, because he's still God, and he's still there. Let's pray. God, um, there are times in our life where we wonder where you are. God, there are times in our life when we're crying out to you and we just want to see you 
We want to hear you. We want to feel you. And God, to be honest, it's really hard just to wait. It's really hard to sit back and try to hear you speak to us. So God, I pray as we struggle with that, or maybe we're in that place right now, or God, maybe we'll be in that place in the future. God, I pray that we wait patiently. God, I pray that we wait to see you move. We wait to hear your voice. But God, I pray the entire time we have faith. God, that we trust that you're there. We trust that you are good. We trust that you want what's best for us. God, I pray this week as people are crying out to you or people, as people are desperately seeking you, God, I pray that they hear you. God, I pray that if we, uh, we hear you and we don't like it, um, God, we trust you. God, that we don't walk away from you, but we, we try to lean in. God, thank you um, that you're always there. God, thank you that in the ups and downs of life, you're always in the holy temple. God, thank you that you're always good. We love you and pray these things in your name. Amen.